Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. Uh, You can follow along with me in the Bible that you brought or in the Pew Bible that's somewhere near you. It's also provided for you free of charge in your bulletin, and you can feel free to follow along there if you'd like to do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. Uh, For instance, you could be over at the Sherry Parker Lee Stadium rooting on the SEC champion Lady Vols in the regional, which they're about to win. Uh, You could be uh, graduating uh, this weekend, or you could be shedding tears of the kingdom as you play the new Legend of Zelda, which just came out this week. But you're not doing any of those things. You're here. And I really do want to thank you uh, for joining us this morning, because the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time uh, than worship Jesus, uh, considers claims upon your life, And think about the beauty and the kindness of his salvation. And so thanks for joining us. What is Redeemer? Uh, Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God, that he's the Messiah, and that he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name uh, to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. And we love to shed the tears of the kingdom together as we play The Legend of Zelda. But we also, most importantly, love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville. And hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. People trying to learn how to love God, trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this Easter season, we're in this series that we've entitled Resurrection Life Reflections on First Thessalonians. And what we said every week is that every chapter in the book of First Thessalonians talks about the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And what this means is that Paul wants us to know that our entire lives ought to be shaped by the resurrection and by the return of Christ. And so over this series, we talked about the resurrection, then we moved on and we thought about the resurrection work of God, the resurrection ministry of God, the resurrection word of God, the resurrection comfort of God. Last week, we talked about the resurrection sanctification of God. Uh, This morning, I want us to consider the resurrection hope of God. And the next week, we'll conclude with the resurrection community of God. 
So with that in mind, we want to look this morning at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, our resurrection hope. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and uh, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful uh, for this, your word. Uh, You're a God not hidden nor silent, but one who delights to reveal yourself. And you've done so in your word, by your spirit. And ultimately, you reveal yourself in the person and work of Jesus. So it's our prayer now, in these few moments, as we attend unto your word, that you and your kindness and your mercy would attend unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I watched a movie entitled Calvary. It's this beautiful movie, uh, but it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, At the end of this movie, I wept for about 45 minutes straight. Uh, It is a rough movie. And the film begins uh, with a black screen and, and these words sort of scroll across it. Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume one of the thieves was damned. Right? Do not despair. One of the thieves was saved. Do not presume one of the thieves was damned. That's not a bold enough beginning. The first scene, you're in the confessional booth with an Irish village priest hearing a confession. And the words of that confession are shocking as they come through the screen. And they say this, I'm going to kill you, Father. Next Sunday on the beach, I'll be in touch. Now imagine you know that someone is coming to to get you. Imagine you know that you have seven days to live. What would you do? How would you spend your time? What would you think about? How would you feel? What would you want to do? Well, the Thessalonians have been told that the time is drawing to a close, that the end is near. That the resurrected and the ascended Jesus is coming back the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in the Bible is a day when God will visit the world in judgment 
And when God returns in judgment, he will then restore his people to himself. It is the day that the Bible tells us when all that is evil, all that is unholy, all that is offensive to God will be done away with. It is a day when all of God's enemies will be destroyed and all that hurts God's people will be cast aside. It's the day uh, when sickness, sorrow, pain, and death uh, will be felt and feared no more. It's the day when every human being will have to stand before Jesus and he will look us in the eye and we will look him in the eye. And on that day, the promise of the book of Revelation is that he will wipe away our tears. But it's also the day that the creed in conformity with the scripture says that God will judge the living and the dead. And throughout the Bible and even on the lips of Jesus, we are told that we are to be a people who prepare for that day because that day is coming. And therefore, we must live in light of that coming day because that day will be the first day of forever. The way C.S. Lewis talks about this at the end of the last battle is this. He says, that day will be for them the end of all the stories. And they can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter chapter is better than the one before. Isn't that a great way for a book to end? And so the Thessalonians know that this day is coming and they want to know when, right? Uh, when will their suffering end? When will the hardships and sorrows of life be done? When will the world finally recognize God as God and Jesus as our King? And so Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. And so what he's saying is, look, uh, it is not important for you to know when. It is important that you know that. It's not important for you to know when Jesus is coming. It's important that you know that he is coming. Now, there are many reasons why they might have wanted to know when. I mean, like many of us, we long for Jesus to come back. Like many of us, we are tired of the suffering. We're tired of the struggles. We long for our tears to be dried so that we might see his face more clearly. And like many of us, they cried out, how long? How long? When will you return? Now, for others, it might have been more complicated. Maybe some of them, like many of us, have begun to doubt that he really will return. And let's be honest, as we think about our lives, I mean, it's, it's been a while. And in the waiting, it's easy for us to wonder, has this whole thing been a joke? Right? Is judgment just something that religion has made up to hold us back, to keep us in line, to keep us from doing those things that we really want to do? Or maybe uh, some of them just thought, you know, if we knew when you were coming back, then we could sort of enjoy our life now, do whatever we want, and when you come back, right before you come back, we could get everything together. 
It's how many of us think about life. It's how many of us live, right? We, we grew up in the church and then we decide, look, I'm just going to go off. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go to college, have my fun. I'm going to uh, get married. I'm going to have my children. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to live in the neighborhood. I'm going to have all the things that I want. And then finally at the end, then I'll just settle up with Jesus. It reminds me of when I was a, a, a kid and my parents would go out uh, for a date and they'd say, Hey, Sean, we're going to be gone for a while, and so we don't want you to have anyone over to the house while we're gone, and uh, we want you to clean up your room before you watch television. And so my response would be, okay, that's great. Uh, when do you think you'll be home? Uh, we'll be home around 10. Okay, why don't you just call me before you leave? Uh, that way I can get the friends out of the house and then throw all my clothes under the bed. And, uh, and Paul's saying, look, uh, you don't need to know when, right? You just need to know that. Because when Jesus returns, he says, it will be like a thief in the night. And sadly, we all know this, that thieves rarely tell us when they're coming. And then when the thief comes and they surprise us, and then they take everything that makes us feel safe and secure. Then he describes the coming of Jesus, not like a thief, but like labor pains. Now, for what it's worth, I've never experienced labor pains, uh, but I have seen those pains inflict their pain upon people, and I don't want those pains. But the emphasis is not so much on the pain, uh, rather the emphasis is on the inevitability of the coming. Think about it, if, if a child is growing in the womb, the only way for the child to come out of the womb is through the pains of labor. And I think that this is really important because what he's saying is that judgment is coming. He's saying judgment is inevitable. And sadly, I think that even as Christians, we tend to forget this because we tend to think that Christianity only uh, matters or it's only true if it impacts Monday. Or it's only true, right, if it's helpful. Or that Christianity matters and is important because of its role in the formation of Western civilization. Or maybe Christianity is true and it matters because of the way it makes me feel. Now, of course, Christianity impacts Monday. And of course, Christianity, I believe, is helpful. And of course, Christianity ought to impact our feelings. But Christianity is not primarily about ethics or pragmatics or feelings. Christianity is primarily about historic events. It is about what God has done and what God will do. Christianity is about the fact that God has made the world and that out of his love for his world, he has entered into that world. And out of love for his people, he died on the cross for our sins. He then rose from the dead, defeating death. And though we do not see it right now, he's ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning over all things. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so Christianity is fundamentally a response to God and to his work. Because whether you want Jesus to return or not, or whether you believe Jesus will return or not, it doesn't really matter. 
Because Paul is saying it's a reality. It's a fact. It is something that God is going to do. He's saying Jesus is coming. It is inevitable, right? That's the point. His point is this, the baby is coming whether you want it to or not. So how will you prepare? And then this image, right, of the, of, of the labor pains became one of Paul's great images for the birthing of the new creation. You remember in Romans chapter 8, he said, though the creation is subject to futility, it will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. And so here's the point that, uh, that's being made. He's saying Jesus was judged for our sins on the cross. And as the one who was judged for our sins, he then died the penalty of death for those sins. He was then placed in the ground as the seed of the new creation. And that seed rose up at the resurrection as the first fruits, as the beginning, right, of that new creation, which will fully and finally be birthed at the return of Jesus, right? And so the imagery is this, the final judgment will be the final labor pain that gives birth to the fullness of God's glorious promise for the world. It's a lot of theology. It's a bit complicated. Uh, but big picture is this. If we put the images of the thief and we put the images of the labor pains together, here's the point. You don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he is. It is inevitable. And you don't need to know when, you just need to know that. And so like a mother preparing for her child, we need to make the nursery ready. We need to be prepared. Because when the thief comes, right, when Jesus returns, uh, he will take away everything uh, that we have put our trust in other than him. And that could be painful. Because he will take away everything that we think, verse 3, gives us peace and security. And on that great day of judgment, everything we think will give us peace and security will be proven to be weak. All right, let me put it this way. When you and I stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, I do not think he's going to be impressed with our cool cars in our big houses. I don't think he's going to be impressed with our degrees and our gingham smock children. I don't think he's going to be impressed uh, with our toys or our citizenship or our military or our titles. When death comes to each of us, few of us are going to die in heroic fashion. Most of us are going to die a normal, quiet, humble death that is not of our own timing, that is not of our own choosing, and is a death that we are not in control of. And it is on that day that we will see the foolishness of everything that we have boasted in. 
and it will be stripped away and it will be painful. But through that pain, new life is coming. Psalm 30 tells us, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, for those of us who are waiting for Jesus uh, in, a, in, a, in its own little way, this ought to bring us and fill us with great hope. Because the one that we love uh, and the one that loves us is returning for us. But for those of us who do not believe him or do not want him to come, this really is a warning. And you see it in verse 3. While people are saying, this is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. See, the Thessalonians lived in a culture in which they delighted in being citizens of the Roman Empire. And they loved being citizens of the Roman Empire because they benefited from the peace and the security that the Roman Empire offered. It's what people call the Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome. And it was declared that Rome would bring peace, that Rome would bring security, And of course, Rome did bring peace and security. Unless you were a slave, unless you were a woman, unless you were a foreigner, unless you didn't serve its gods, unless you didn't bow before the Roman emperor. And if you wouldn't do those things, then there was no peace. And then, of course, that eternal peace that Rome had promised was a peace that actually fell. It fell into chaos, which is what we call the fall of Rome, right? Which is why in the early 5th century, uh, Augustine wrote his famous book, The City of God. Because even Christians were losing their minds at the fall of Rome. And he wrote to remind them not to look to the city of man, but to the city of God as their hope. And that we live centuries later, I think we still are seeking the peace and security uh, in things and the kings of this world. Uh, A few of us here in America look to Mother Russia, but in Russia, they look to Mother Russia. Here, we look to the Pax Americana. We look to money. We look to fame. We look to private schools. We look to good deeds, political parties, technology, gated communities to give us peace and to give us security rather than the peace and security that can only come through God who is to come. And I think that for many of us, the thing that steals our hope in God is when the things of this world fail us, right? When power and love fail, when comfort and ease fail, when health and wealth fail. And when those things fail, we begin to ask, where is God? Has God failed us? Because for some reason, we have been taught to find our safety and security in the things of this world. But when the things of this world fail, we think that God has failed. But maybe peace and security were never meant to be found in the things of this world. And maybe when those things failed, we didn't lose God. We just lost the false gods that we put our hope in. And maybe the failure of this world is actually the means of grace by which God might turn our eyes back to him so we might find our peace and security and hope in him. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he's saying is this. If Jesus is your peace and security, if Jesus is your heart, it can never be taken away. It will never be taken away. And therefore, Paul says, verse 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. That's why he says in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so what he's saying is this, in light of the coming day of Jesus, right? In light of God and his love for you and his promise to return for you, in light of all those things, I need you to wake up. He's saying, wake up, sober up, live in light of Jesus today so that you will not be ashamed on the day of his coming. Now, of course, uh, this is purely hypothetical and has never happened. But imagine that you're a first year at college, right? And it's Friday night and uh, your dorm uh, is partying. Your dorm is getting rowdy and you join in and you party and you get rowdy with all your new friends. And then eventually you fall into bed around three or four in the morning and then you're awakened about nine with a knock on the door and you immediately realize, oh no, uh, my parents are coming, right? Not just are they coming, my parents are now here. Uh, think of the shame uh, you might feel in the moment as you still reek of the night before. Well, that's a scenario Paul is inviting us to consider. He's saying, look, be ready. He's saying, stay awake because Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for us because we are his children He's coming back for us because he loves us. He's coming back for us because we belong to him. Notice what he says in verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. Look at what he says in verse 8. But since we belong to the day. Notice what he says in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might uh, live with him. So what I want you to see here is that in this passage, Paul is wanting to remind us who we are. He's saying, look, you are children of the light. You are not children of the darkness. So live as children of the light. He's saying you are not destined, right, for judgment or wrath. You are destined for salvation. You are not destined to live separate from God. You have been destined to live with the God who loves you forever. Therefore, he says, live out of that hope. Now, I know many of you have been following uh, Tim Keller's death this week, and I would assume many of you saw uh, Michael's, his son Michael's comments uh, on the interwebs about some of Tim's final words. And uh, supposedly Tim had said this, I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. That is God's promise to his people. 
that we are destined to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so it's out of that hope that we now begin to live today. But what might that hope look like? How might that hope manifest itself in our lives? Well, I want you to think theologically or biblically with me for a second, because one of the things that I really find interesting about Jesus is that Jesus, like the Thessalonians, didn't know the day, didn't know the hour. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So what's interesting is that Jesus didn't know. He didn't know when, he just knew that. And so Jesus uh, also knew not only that it was coming, he also knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was loved by the Father. And Jesus knew that he would return to the Father. And therefore, Jesus lived a faithful, beautiful life. I want you to think about it. Jesus' baptism, the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And do you remember what immediately happened? The spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness where in the wilderness, he endured the temptation of the devil. And do you remember what the devil was offering Jesus? Security and peace. Just like we find in our text in verse three. But Jesus, Uh, didn't listen to the devil. Instead, he said, no, I will wait for my father and I will trust his word. And then later on at the end of Jesus's ministry, when he was about to go to the cross, you might remember that he had a meal with his best friends, which we call the Last Supper. And recounting that meal, uh, John in chapter 13 of his gospel says this, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Because Jesus knew who he was, where he had come from and where he was going. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. He lived a life of service He didn't fear death, nor did he fear judgment. Instead, he gave himself. And I think that this is why Paul spends so much time reminding us who we are and where we are going. Who are we as God's people? We are his children. We are loved by him. And where are we going? We are destined for salvation, which is life with him forever. And so now it's out of that hope that we should live. But what would that hope begin to look like? Well, it looks like a life that is filled with faith, hope, and love. Look what you see in verse 8. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. So how is it that we ought to hope in the coming day? How is it that we ought to live in light of the coming day of judgment? We must turn away from fear We must turn away from despair. We must turn away from anger. And we must give ourselves to Jesus in faith and hope and love. In the movie Calvary, what happens is, I'm not going to tell you the end, but uh, the priest, he knows the day is coming. And so uh, what he does 
is he goes about the ordinary responsibilities of the day. He wakes up every morning. He gets on his knees and he prays. He goes to the church and puts out the Bibles and the hymnals. He visits everyone in the parish. And then he reconciles with his daughter. What do you think Jesus, Jesus the one who knew the day was coming, what did he do? He said his prayers. He proclaimed the kingdom. He loved the Father. And he reconciled with his brothers and sisters, becoming a servant even to the point of death. Now, what would give us confidence to begin hoping and living in, in such a way? What gives us hope in the face of the coming judgment? I want you to look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. What I want you to see that he's saying is we can have confidence at the coming day of Jesus, the judgment, because Jesus suffered the judgment that we deserve. Jesus suffered the judgment that we deserve. Notice what it says, so that we might live with him. What he's saying is Jesus was judged for you so that you might be declared innocent and live with him in the joy of his eternal presence. Right? Jesus was judged on that day of judgment so that on the day of judgment, we might be welcomed by our heavenly father. So then Paul says this, encourage one another. And that's what this table is. This table, the point of the Lord's table is to encourage us. Because laid before us on this table is the body and the blood of Jesus. His body and his blood, which has been given for you. And it is given as a reminder that Jesus was judged on our behalf. That Jesus died in our place. That Jesus endured the wrath of God against our sin so that we might dwell with God and feast with him forever. What I want you to see, and as you come to this table, I want you to see that this table is your only hope. And it is your only hope because Jesus is your only hope. And therefore, presume not that you can stand lest you be condemned, but rejoice that Jesus was judged so that we might be saved.